This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Yo, Clock Dodgers, what's up? It's your host, Neil. I just wanted to talk to you guys really quickly before we started the podcast. We got a good one for you here. Um, I just wanted to remind you guys how important it is to subscribe to the podcast. Um, I don't care if it's you, if you can get your friends, your family, your enemies, um, the guy who who is giving you your coffee at Starbucks, the girl at the restaurant that's serving you right now, literally anybody you can get to subscribe to the podcast only makes the Clock Dodgers family that much stronger, that much bigger, that much more people that we can have to help people and to and to help us motivate us and and to and to you know entertain us so let let's get that you know going guys the more people that subscribe the better same thing with the reviews if you haven't left a review yet or comments on Podbean, a review on apple the podcast on itunes literally all this stuff helps you got to understand that new listeners who maybe aren't aware of us um who who don't know about the show this is how they become listeners this is how they become part of our clock dodger family so it's super critically important that you guys do that for us um and i appreciate you if you've already done it you're amazing. You've, you're making this whole, how special it is because we're all in this together, guys. Um, so let's go ahead and get to this episode. We have a great guest for you guys. Uh, enjoy. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot cope with them. Can't do it. You play with the game. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. are now locked in to the Clock Dodgers Podcast. Clock Dodgers Podcast. Welcome, Clock Dodgers, to episode 63 of the podcast for the fantasy football episodes. I have my boy, Adam. He is back in the house, as we always like to do this. What's up, Adam? What's up, Neil? Hey, man, listen, I'm just super excited about our guest today. I mean, I'm always excited to have you here, but I, I think you would agree with me when I say we're super fortunate to have our guest. Oh, very yeah, I mean, we're fortunate because we don't just bring anybody on the Cloud Dodgers podcast. We don't just bring anybody. Our guests, you know, we like to find guests who are interesting, who have a story to tell, who have a lot of knowledge in a certain thing, who are just good people. And Jen Ryan covers all those things. Jen Ryan writes for Football Diehards. It's an honor to have her on. She's obviously super active on fancy Twitter. If, if you don't follow her already, please do. But welcome, Jen Ryan, to the Clock Dodgers podcast. Hey guys, thank you. That's uh, I almost didn't know who you were talking about there for a minute. That's like really nice. Thank you. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have you. I mean, obviously, you know, you're you are a regular contributor on um, Football Diehards. Like I said, I, you know, just on Twitter alone, you know, you're you're super active there. Um, specifically, also in the MFL tens, uh, which you you talk about every day, all day, <laughs> which is great. Um, you know, when we invited you on, you know, for the podcast, it was kind of like 
multiple reasons. Obviously, one, um, you know, you're you're a good person. It's obvious, you know, just through Twitter alone that you're a good person. You're cool to chat with. But the other reason is also, like I said, the MFL tens, uh, which you are obviously very good at. You're you're very active in doing those. Um, so today, you know, we wanted to kind of have a, a, a conversation about that more in depth than we usually do um, on the podcast. Um, I know a lot of people aren't from some, some people are familiar with them, super into them. And then it seems like there's still a, a bunch of people who don't really do them. Um, I myself have not, you know, gone into the deep end yet. I would say um, I've only kind of, you know, dipped my feet in the pool, say, Oh, the water's nice. It feels good. But you know, Jen, Adam, you guys like really dove straight in. You know, you guys are doing them every day. You guys do a ton of my, like, you know, you guys tweet about them all day long. So I figured it would be a good idea to kind of explain what MFL tens are really quick, just for anybody who may not be as familiar as we are with them um, before we actually get into the conversation about them. Um, is that fair guys? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, great. So well, I'll let Adam um, talk about it a little bit here before we actually start trying to pick Jen's brain on them. Um, so Adam, you're, you're good to go, man. All right. So for those of you not in the know, an MFL 10 is a, my fantasy league best ball draft. Now, best ball leagues, if you are completely unaware of what they are, were actually created in the mid-90s. Jen actually wrote a really great article for Football Diehards a little bit about the history of MFL 10s and touches on how uh, M.O. Kedlek, I believe that's the correct punctuation, M.O., if I got that wrong, I apologize, sir. But uh, he, uh, he actually created this idea in the mid-90s. And what best ball is, is it's a format that allows you to basically draft a team and just forget about it. There is no in-season roster management. There is no ad drops. You draft a team, and each week, your best, most optimal lineup is automatically inserted into your scoring. So you don't have to worry about the team after you draft it, and it makes it a ton of fun to do in the offseason because you can draft a ton of these and never really have to think about it again. MFL 10s are a particular form of best ball draft that's hosted by MyFantasyLeague.com. The 10 implies exactly how much they cost. They're $10. And the great thing about them being only $10 is you're able to do a large amount if you so choose and have the money to back it up. Particularly with MFL 10s, they are PPR scoring format. They're 12 team leagues with 20 man rosters. And in each of them, you start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, a defense, and a flex. No kickers allowed. So what's really cool about that aspect of it is, like I said before, with it being best ball format, you're going to be drafting a 20-man roster that is going to encompass your entire team. And then each week, the optimal lineup of one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, a defense, and one flex of running back, wide receiver, a tight end, automatically get input into the scoring for you you don't even have to think about it it just automatically happens and you can check on it as regularly as you'd like sometimes i check on them weekly sometimes over the course of the year i'll forget about a team and not check on it until the last few weeks of the season and then i can care about it what makes it really cool is you get to do a ton of drafts and you get to really prep in a way for me the thing that i've talked about on the podcast before that i love about mfl 10s is they're mostly like a competitive mock draft that you can do in the off season so you can always be drafting always be looking at adp and how it's adjusting and for me what i've really learned to love about it is it just allows me to kind of keep my fantasy muscles moving and i learn a ton about what the fantasy community perceives as value and how I can exploit that. I pretty much summed it up, man. So 
that so so the first thing I have to ask you guys before we even get into all these questions for Jen everything. So these are ten dollars um, per you know per each one that you play, and like I said, I don't do as many as you two do. So you guys do a lot of them. Do you guys have like money saved up for these, or do you just just keep joining them <laughs> randomly? Because these, that, I mean, from as much as I see you guys talk about it, you got to be spending a lot of money. Unless I'm just you know reading tweets twice over or something, but it seems like you both are spending a lot of money. I mean, I would, I like to think I'm still rolling over some some of the money I won uh, in back in 2015. But uh, you know, I mean, they're do the math. They're ten dollars if you do a hundred of them. You know, you're looking at a thousand dollar investment over the course of the season. But I mean, think about all the other things you could spend ten dollars on. There's there's other ways to light a ten dollar bill on fire as opposed to, you know, trying to turn it into a hundred dollars. I guess that's true. That's very true. Adam, do you do as much as she does? No, the the most I've done was last year when I did 30. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be profitable the past two years doing them. So for me, it, it has been a thing where I'm kind of ramped up each year. The first year I did 10, and it just kind of dipped my toes in. Had a lot of success that first year. I had a ridiculous return rate winning three of those 10. Um, so that kind of really encouraged me to get more involved with it last year. And I played 30 lineups last year. So far, I'm in 12 leagues, and we're in April. So I have no idea where my numbers are going to end up this year, but I'm definitely pushing for higher volume. And like, you know, Jen kind of touched on, I mean, yeah, $1,000 for 100 leagues can seem like a huge investment. So I don't know if I'll reach that level. (laughs) The great thing, though, for me, and the way I always look at it is, these are drafts that started as early as February, and they go until almost August. So you've got like six months to spread out that money. And typically, I can budget a little bit better over the course of six months than I can for your you know, typical redraft or dynasty leagues where I'm putting in all the money right in August or right before the start of the NFL right. you know, kickoff. So for me, it's actually a little bit better from a bankroll management perspective because I don't have to have all those funds together at once. I kind of can spread it out. Gotcha. So Jen, we're, we're, we, I want we want to talk about you particularly um, a little <laughs> bit with, with these because obviously, like I said, that's that's why that's part of the reason why you're here. So when did you actually first start playing these? Uh, so the first season I ever participated in the in the tens was back in 2015. Um, we talked a little bit about the the Twitter presence among us, and yeah. uh, I'm a huge fantasy Twitter. It's where like my research started when I started taking fantasy football seriously. First place I went was Twitter, and um, you know I pride myself on you know following the best people and and reading everything they say, reading everything that they write, and I kept seeing these tweets from all these experts that I was following, you know, February, March, saying that they were making these draft picks. And I saw this hashtag MFL 10. And I was I was just kind of jealous. I thought I had no idea what they were. I thought it was sort of this like private thing that, you know, like fantasy writers and and people who worked for websites participated in. So I did a little, little Googling and uh, I, I found out what MFL 10s were. So uh, there was there was a website I was writing for back in 2015 called uh, the Fantasy Football Librarian, and one of the writers was like, "Hey, do you want to get one of these ten dollar best ball drafts?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course. You know, I'd love to start practicing. You know, because I was a big mock drafter, and uh, you right. know how those goes. Sometimes someone will take Tim Tebow in the first round just to screw everything up. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I was like, "Yeah, let me let me get one of these." And I, I swear, next thing I knew, I was like. God, I did like 15 of these already. And then by the time the season was over, my first season, I, I did over 40 of them. And then, uh, 
And then I just, I was addicted. And then last year I got, I got over that century mark, just playing on like a psycho <laughs> and here, here I am in another year, but it, it's great because, you know, I'm sure you guys play in home leagues. I mean, those are my favorite leagues of any experts league I've been in or any of the, uh, like the leagues for the football diehards magazines, anything like that. I, I love those leagues, but there's nothing like the home league, you know, especially my family league. Sure. And I loved love going into to that draft, not only knowing everyone I'm going to draft, but pretty much having an idea of where everybody else is, uh, is going to be taking players also. It's just, it's paid practice. So it's, uh, it's, you know, it's worth it for me. I enjoy them, and I think anyone who really gives them a shot would enjoy them too. Yeah, it's interesting how you called it paid practice, um, and it is pretty accurate when you think about it. When when you mentioned earlier that you know you just kind of threw out a number like a hundred of them, and you said you've hit that century mark, um, is that kind of like your sweet spot, or are you you just gonna keep looking for more and more every year? You think? Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could call it a sweet spot. I, <laughs> I will say, I mean, it's what I aimed for last year, and I hit it. Um, and that was a lot of that had to do with rolling over profit from 2015. I was uh, disciplined about keeping some money in the MFL bank. I, t like many people, took a loss last year. I did not profit, but I mean, I'll be honest with you, I just love doing them. So I have a feeling I'll probably get up to 100 again this year, but I I'm not aiming for it as much as I was. And, you know, I'd be pretty like pissed at myself if I did more than like, if I got to like 150, I'd be like, okay, that's enough. Start, right. you know, pay off a student loan and like knock it off, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Adam, you had a question about like rosters, right? With the construction of them. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the interesting things about MFL 10s is that you have this dynamic where you're able to draft up to 20 players, but with the best ball format, there's been a ton of different articles written about what is optimal roster construction, or even just in your normal redraft league, there was a ton of discussion last year regarding things like zero running back and different strategies that can give you a more optimal lineup. Now with best ball, it's a little bit more, I would say, important to particularly pay attention to roster construction simply because you can't adjust it throughout the year. Um, so, Jen, really, I was curious. Uh, I know you've talked a little bit in the past about being a big fan of zero running back, um, but particularly for this season, heading into it with, you know, a, a year where we're seeing often in especially MFL 10s, there's a really high rate that at least the first two and often the first three players off the board are running backs with David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and Ezekiel Elliott. I'm curious to know, do you have a particular strategy that you tend to gravitate towards or a particular roster construction that you really like to utilize? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Uh, in, in terms of roster construction, and I think uh, both of you guys just, again, being on Twitter, I think you can attest to this. It's it's really hard to even mention roster construction without mentioning the work that Mike Beers has done from, from Rotoviz. Uh, pretty sure you guys know him. He's yeah. at Beerswater on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, can we give a slow clap for Mike Beers? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, any podcast I've been on about MFL tins, I can't get through it without mentioning him at least once. I mean, the thing is, there's there's been a lot of great articles about MFL tins, about roster construction. Um, Pat Thorman from uh, Pro Football Focus wrote a really great one. Mike Taglieri at uh, Fantasy Pros, also John Proctor. These are just a couple that are coming up. I told you guys I'm kind of like a fantasy bookworm, but. Uh, <laughs> But the work that Mike does is just so beyond, I feel like, anything that anybody else does. And he's 
he's just a data cruncher like nobody else. And uh, what I'm getting at is he has a, a series of articles he's written about roster construction, and he could tell you the win rate for every single combination of, of players imaginable. But, uh, but I, I try to, you know, sort of as much best as I can pay attention to, uh, to his work. But I would say for me, for, for the most part, um, I'm more of, uh, what I won't do more so than what I will do. So like, I won't take four quarterbacks. I won't take four tight ends. I won't take four defenses. So it kind of leaves you with two to three quarterbacks, two to three tight ends, two to three defenses. And then I fill out the rest of that roster typically with maybe one or two more wide receivers than I will with running backs. Basically, you know, pretty much how the beginning of the draft goes. If I kind of grab a stud running back early on, I'll have less, you know, and if I kind of punt running back, I'll have a couple more. But in terms of zero or B and, uh, and strategy. I mean, it was, it was the thing in 2015 and it worked and, and last year it got flipped over on its head. And now we're, we're kind of seeing an overcorrection, I think. And you just mentioned it, Adam, those, those top picks are, are running backs. Uh, so sometimes zero RB is almost forced upon you if, uh, if you get one of those later picks, but, but I will say, uh, in terms of strategy, I think we all try to stick to best player, available but what what I'm really trying to do this season is have a conscious effort of balance. I'm in my first five picks I want three solid receivers, two solid running backs or vice versa, three solid running backs, two solid receivers. That makes that makes sense. And and you with, with you personally, you you know, you said you do a, a pretty good amount of these. Do you try to keep them all pretty similar or do you try to mix them all up on purpose? Do you I mean, is there a certain way you would, you go at that, or is it just again just whatever the draft dictates for you? So a little bit of what the the draft dictates, but I'm totally conscious too. I mean, I I have a spreadsheet where I I very diligently track players I draft, when I draft them, and uh, you know I'm I'm big on trying to rotate. So when I get those top three picks, you know, let's say I do three drafts a week and I have a top three pick in all of them, I'll make it a point to grab David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and Ezekiel Elliott. I'll kind of spread out those top picks just to kind of spread out the risk a little bit. But you know, players players I'm high on, especially in some of the later rounds. So when I feel good about, it, I mean, I'm not scared to have high ownership of a player, but it, because of the volume, I do try to diversify as much as I can. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Adam, with that um, pick me and you were speaking about the 1.9 pick. Curious. What yeah. I, is. You know, honestly, um, really quick. I just wanted to touch on it before we got there, just because Jen had brought up Mike Beers. Uh, uh, honestly, he does amazing work regarding roster construction. And, and while we were on the topic, one of the things that I wanted to bring up that I think is one of the most compelling things about MFL10s is in an article that Mike wrote for Rotoviz this offseason, he actually outlined what the most optimal um, the optimal roster construction would be on a positional basis. And what it actually came out to was two quarterbacks, six running backs, eight wide receivers, three tight ends, and two defenses. Now, if you did the math with me there, you'd realize that that lineup is actually too many players. So one thing that's really awesome about MFL 10 is that it challenges you to figure out how to be optimal in that 20-man requirement because really what's optimal is having more players that you know, available to you in best ball. So really hat off to, you know, my fantasy league for creating a format that 
honestly continues to challenge people even without being, you know, modified and, and advanced. And to bring it back to what you were just talking about, honestly, with, uh, with what I've been seeing often with MFL 10s right now, Jen, I was really curious for you. I mean, we talked a little bit about how, you know, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and Ezekiel Elliott are often going one through three. But I've also noticed a trend that then right after that, there's basically five wide receivers that seem to consistently be coming off the board in kind of a mix of order. But often I'm seeing these five go off the board next, and that's Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, uh, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, and A.J. Green. So I was really curious to kind of get a little bit of perspective for yourself. If you're sitting at the 109 and those eight players are off the board, who are you looking to target there? And what type of kind of flow are you hoping to see come back to you in the second round? Yeah, so I find myself a lot really grabbing T.Y. Hilton there. I think he's uh, he's kind of the next best thing after all those guys. And, and sometimes I'll even take him ahead of A.J. Green. And another guy, and you know, this really should come as no surprise, is Des Bryant there too. Um, every now and then, I'll go the running back route because you will see kind of Melvin Gordon, Devontae Freeman, and LaShawn McCoy go around there. But there's many times, basically, if I go with T.Y. or Des there, there's a good chance on the turn I'm getting either Melvin, Devontae, or LaShawn McCoy, and vice versa. If I grab one of those running backs there, I'm probably going to get one of those elite receivers coming around in the second round. But um, towards the end of the first, I would say I still probably give the uh, the wide receiver the edge. I might even every now and then grab Jordy Nelson ahead of a guy like Melvin Gordon. Um, I, I do keep it simple when it comes to these. It is PPR. It is a passing league. And, uh, you know, the, the receivers are always going to have that edge for me. Uh, but it's a tricky spot down there because, you know, if you let's say for argument's sake, you go. Des and T.Y. And, and you load up on two receivers there. Well, now now you better start looking at, in that third round, a guy like Carlos Hyde or Mark Ingram. So uh, the the end of the first, where that was my sweet spot, I guess you could say, last season, has kind of become tough because once those first, you know, five to seven guys come off the board, now eight, nine, ten get a little tricky. Adam, is that typically what you're doing right now since you've been doing these, or, or is that not? Yeah, honestly, it, it was really interesting because uh, as Jen was talking, the only one that I was going to add was Jordy Nelson, and then you added it. So I think <laughs> that uh, what's interesting about these My Fantasy League MFL 10s, especially if you play them a lot, you notice that really early in drafts, we kind of all sort of fall into line as far as what ADP dictates as far as who's available when, and what players you're going to target. Now, occasionally you'll see anomalies. I was in an MFL 10 today where uh, Leonard Fournette went 13th overall as the running back six off the board. Totally blew my mind, but you'll see things like that occur. But honestly, more often than not, I'm often seeing the players that Jen listed go kind of in that late first, early second range. And, And those are the players I'm targeting, almost every single one that she named. Not necessarily in that order. Um, T.Y. is kind of the one that I, I, I struggle with, honestly, because I, I struggle with seeing him be able to produce a top five season, whereas I think that Des Bryant and Jordy Nelson have kind of proved to have that elite upside. Um, but T.Y. did it last year, and, and honestly, leading the league in yards is not an easy feat. And Andrew Luck's been playing injured, so if he's healthy this year and T.Y. is still the number one option in that offense, which I expect him to be, I definitely can see him being 
a player to target in that range. Adam, uh, I'm, I'm curious your thought on Michael Thomas up there because I feel like he's one of those guys where if you want him, you need to take him late second at the most, you know, and I, I kind of don't know what to make of Michael Thomas. I, I mean, I, I own him. I have shares of him, but I, I hate paying that, that price for him. Yeah. I mean, Michael Thomas is a great, great question because honestly for him to be a top 10 wide receiver again, this season would really be an outlier for what we've seen the new Orleans Saints offense to be over the course of time that Drew Brees has been the quarterback there. Now through the, majority of that time Jimmy Graham was there so there was a large target share that was going to the tight end position which took away from kind of the wide receiver one position but with Michael Thomas kind of getting elevated last year I was really excited about his prospects until Brandon Cooks left the team and honestly I think that Brandon Cooks leaving the team is going to force coverage more in his direction I'll be really interested to see what they'll be doing in the draft. I saw a recent mock draft where somehow Corey Davis fell to them at 32. And if that happens, I think it's, you know, all systems go for Michael Thomas. Because if he gets another wide receiver opposite to him that's a threat to defenses and can pull coverage away from him and give him more opportunities, I think that he has elite upside. So right now, he's not a player I'm targeting, but post-draft, he's definitely someone who I think I will start exposing myself to shares of if they get another wide receiver opposite him that I think can support his role in that offense jen do, do you see it that way as well with cooks do you, do you see it hurting him or no cooks or, or Thomas? Uh, cook do you, yeah do you think cook leaving hurts thomas i mean i i think it's hurt his cost in terms of his adp has skyrocketed right. but but yeah totally i mean and uh, i feel like a guy that we're forgetting about is willie sneed you right. know he's he's still there um i think michael thomas had a fantastic rookie season if we're expecting more than that at his cost, I, I think we could be let down. Um, and yeah, they better they better get another threat on the outside, or else you know he's going to be a public enemy number one for those defenses. But right. it's just it's so crazy, not crazy to me, but the impact that uh, the Cooks trade had on his ADP. He's just he's become one of these guys. I mean, Jordan Howard. I almost feel like in a similar sense, guys with big rookie seasons who. If you want them, you better be willing to pay for them. Right, right. Yeah, it's not like I, th- I think some people get it misconstrued. Like we're not knocking them or saying they can't, you know, repeat or, or do close to what they did before. It's just where people are drafting them now is making it kind of like, you know, unreasonable. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it is. And, we, you know, we have it kind of planned for in our discussion here. A lot of these running back situations, too. I mean, you could even do these about wide receivers, I guess. But the running backs, um, we wanted to attack it because we got there's a lot of interest in situations um, with running backs and their depth charts. And so we thought we'd do a new segment uh, with you that we haven't actually done on the show before, um, which we are naming uh, Value, Value, Where Art Thou Value? <laughs> pretty, you know, I'll, I'll take credit for the name, Adam. Um, but Adam, you know, kind of created this game up here a little bit. So um, we're, we're literally looking forward to jumping into this with you. Are you ready for that? I am. I am. I'm looking forward to it. Too. Okay, okay, Adam, you want to start it off or you want me to start it off? Oh, go right ahead. Okay, so the first, we're, we're just basically looking at teams that um, have a kind of a, you know, a muddy backfield as far as um, a lot of different options. And so we're looking at where, you know, your your ADP is. Um, on certain guys and which one you would prefer at that ADP. Um, so the first one we're looking at is Seattle. Obviously, everybody knows um, once they signed Eddie Lacy, 
things got kind of, you know, interesting here. So uh, we have Lacey in the sixth. We have Procise in the seventh. And we have Rawls in the tenth. So, I, well, Jen, we'll let you start with, you know, which one you feel more comfortable at grabbing at those, you know, those positions. And then, Adam, you can, of course, chime in after. And we'll just keep going kind of back and forth like that. Sure. Um, I am by far, I would say, most comfortable with Rawls in the 10th and, and even later then. And I think my uh, small portfolio that I've built so far kind of speaks on that. Um, he is, for better or worse, my highest owned running back. Uh, prior to, yeah, prior to the Lacey signing, I mean, back beginning of Feb, you know, uh, end of February, beginning of March. I mean, he was going in like the fourth, fifth round and then, uh, in came Eddie Lacey and his ADP just got smacked. I mean, I personally, I'm looking at, at my, uh, numbers here. Latest I've gotten him is the 10th pick in the 12th round. And it's, it's kind of like, you can't, it's hard to pass on him there. Um, you know, I'm not 100% sold on on issues. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, on Lacey's issues all totally being injury related. I think we all know he uh, has those weight issues, and you know we joke about the weight, but for me, that's that's more of a sign of a, I suppose, mental strength when it comes to an athlete. You know, right, kind of right. keep it on top of your body. Um, and you know, Rawls is still there, and Procise. I mean, I still probably prefer Procise to Lacey, but uh, that. That price tag on Rawls, I mean, as he continues to drop, I'm I'm continuing uh, to grab him. I mean, I should probably back off a little bit, but uh, I don't. There's not a ton suggesting that he's not going to be a part of Seattle's plans this year for me, at least. Right, absolutely. And you know, obviously, anyone who listens to the show and Adam, you know, um, I'm a big Rawls component, so it's obviously this is a perfect storm for me. I, I love the Rawls situation as well. And I, you know, I just, I was a fan of him before this happened. I'm not going to change that, but Adam, where, what has this done to you and that Seattle backfield? Yeah. First and foremost, Neil, I could hear you smiling all the way over here when she said Rawls. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, actually I, I did not expect that from you, Jen. So uh, that actually was really interesting to me because uh, really I see Eddie Lacy kind of coming in and, and being the ideal replacement for Rawls. I feel like the, um, Really, the Seattle coaching staff has talked about it a little bit. I mean, they, they want Lacey to be big. Now, he's way too big right now, but he does have these financial incentives to lose weight. Hopefully, that motivates him. Really, I think the biggest struggle with Lacey, in my opinion, is trying to gauge that level of motivation. I think if he's motivated, he could be beneficial. But really, the thing that I'm most afraid of when investing in the Seattle backfield is their offensive line. They were pretty atrocious last year, and I don't really know how much they've done in the offseason to improve that. And unless they do something in the draft that really has them focusing back on the offensive line, I'm not looking at Lacey or Rawls as someone who I'm really looking to invest in. Um, Rawls, I, I honestly might grab some shares of just because he is in that range where if I'm going zero running back, he's someone who I could see being you know, an asset to, to that sort of team structure. Procise is the player that I've always liked the most there from a talent perspective and also just simply because I typically in PPR leagues like to go after these running backs who have the ability to catch passes out of the backfield, especially on a team that I think has a weaker offensive line and might need to utilize a player that is able to work better in space. With all that being said, this is kind of one of those backfields that I'm more avoiding than anything currently. Um, but like I said, if they, you know, address the offensive line in the draft, it might be, a, you know, a situation that I look to get a little bit more shares of than I currently have. 
Gotcha. It's uh, it's gonna be hilarious when that when Russell Wilson leads uh, the team in rushing yards and and we all look like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's like they got four running backs, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. That's gonna be a weird one. Um, let's let's move over to Baltimore. Um, we got Woodhead in the eighth. Um, Dixon the ninth and West in the fifteenth. Um, obviously, with all these, you know, these are just you know averages. They're, they can be going earlier or later in whatever MFL ten you're in. But just in general, Woodhead in the eighth, Dixon in the ninth, and West in the in the fifteenth. Um, Jen, where are you at on this one? This, this um, I gotta be honest, it almost feels like a trick question because <laughs> uh, I I all three of them. I mean, I I love Woodhead eight and beyond. I love Dixon nine and beyond, and. Terrence West at 15, he, he might as well be free. Um, you know, I think every single one of these backs are going to give you usable weeks. And, and the great thing about best ball is you don't have to figure out which one it's going to be. Right. Uh, the, the computer will do all that for you. But I mean, I guess we're talking pure value, maybe the cheapest guy, Terrence West. I mean, he's not facing a suspension. He's not new to the team. So he has that going for him. And uh, you know, people forget he was he was quietly an RB two last season in uh, in PPR leagues. He had more points than guys like Jonathan Stewart, Duke Johnson, and they're all being drafted way ahead of him. Uh, so you know, he'll definitely have competition with Woodhead. The guy's what two seasons removed from like a top three finish. But uh, while Dixon is serving the suspension, and while Woodhead is uh, you know coming off an injury and aging, there's really not going to be anything in in Terrence. West's way to kind of at least give you a solid first quarter of the season. Right. Yeah. You're starting to see a little trend here. You like these guys at the back of each, of each, uh, you know, the later guys, um, cheap Adam. guys. <laughs> yeah. The cheap guys. You like those. I like, I, I, I'm seeing the trend here, Adam, where you at, man? I, I, I got a feeling you're going to say Woodhead, but let me know if I'm wrong. Oof, you are so right. Uh, actually, <laughs> I, uh, I just had a conversation on Twitter. Uh, I think that was yesterday uh, with a uh, good, good friend of Jen's uh, fellow football diehard, Bob Harris uh, regarding pushing up uh, Danny Woodhead's ADP. Cause right now in the eighth round, I mean, he's a steal. Uh, honestly, he's one of my highest owned players so far in MFL tens. I think I have him on close to 50% on my teams, which is way above what I want to be at at the end of the year on any player. Um, but currently, I think the value is just ridiculous. I think he's going overlooked a ton. And to touch on Terrence West a little bit, honestly, I like his value where he's going. I have a few shares of West, but I'm a little concerned about his ability to really be what he was last year because he, he did still catch 30 receptions, and I do not see that happening again this year. I do not see him being really utilized in the passing game for more than maybe like 10 to 20 receptions. So I think there's definitely going to be a drop off in that regard. And I think that a lot of that's going to be gained by Woodhead. And honestly, I mean, Woodhead is one of these guys who, you know, you look at him, you'd never expect him to be as talented as he is. He looks like a guy who would work at the Seven Eleven, but <laughs> he, uh, he plays <laughs> And I don't mean to offend anyone who works at a 7-Eleven. I was just going to say that. I was like, man, really not good for a 7-Eleven employee. Oh, God. Great. Now I'm going to get hate, <laughs> hate tweets from every 7-Eleven employee. Jesus. All right. Thanks, Neil. No problem, man. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it sounds like what we're all saying here is, you know, obviously Dixon's suspension is hurting him. And who knows what's going to happen because of that. I mean, if West just comes out, you know, going crazy again and Woodhead really – 
you know, takes a hold of that offense like everybody's expecting him to do, hey, man, you get can, you get worried about Dixon. You know what I mean? You get worried how he's going to move his way. If they're just going to put him right back or they're not. It's like with the other guy's values, it just, you know, it seems like it makes more sense. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. The next one is crazy to me. The next one is just nuts to me. Minnesota. Okay, I'm, I'm a Raiders fan, so I have my feelings on Latavius Murray already. But he his ADP here is a, is a sixth, and Jarek McKinnon is a twelfth. Jen, make sense of this to me. So I am going to, you know, we just got done talking about how much I'm in love with these cheap guys right. that are on sale and at a discount. So let's completely contradict all that. And uh, I'm much much more prefer- preferring to draft Latavius Murray in the sixth round than I am McKinnon down there in the 12th. Um, I got to be honest with you. I don't understand the knock on Latavius Murray in terms of his fantasy value. He's got back-to-back seasons with uh, a thousand all-purpose yards. And uh, I don't think the Vikings gave him, I think like three and a half million guaranteed to sit behind Jarek McKinnon. I mean, uh, he had, he had an opportunity last season and when you can't, like fully beat out Matt Asiata and sent him to the bench when you're sharing touches with Matt Asiata, it's, it's concerning for me. Um, you know, they brought Murray in again. I don't understand the knock on him. It's like he, in my opinion, gets very little respect in, in terms of his fantasy abilities. And, uh, he's, he's one of these guys where I'm going to roll the dice on him in the sixth round, uh, over, over the McKinnon discount personally. I see. I didn't see. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect. You, you <laughs> I gotta keep you on your toes. You, and you're doing just that, Adam. <laughs> are you with Jen on Murray here? Or I mean, I know you. I know you got McKinnon love in the past. I don't know if that is has has waned at all through these rough times. But uh, I mean, I, I got. I can't see you straight away from McKinnon. But let me know. Did Jen just convince you, man? <laughs> no. The reason she's catching you so off guard, Neil, is she's agreeing with every take you've ever proposed on this <laughs> podcast. It's amazing. I don't know if Jen just sat and just listened to Clock Dodgers podcast to prepare and was just like, I'm just gonna make Neil feel good. I'm like, <laughs> I, no. I told you I research everything. You guys <laughs> <laughs> There you go, right? So ultimately I, I think that this is kind of a similar situation to Seattle for me. Um I, I really do not feel like I can invest much in either of these running backs with the weaknesses that they have on the offensive line. Latavius Murray just came over from Oakland, who right now potentially has the best offensive line in the league with as much accolade as a team like Dallas gets. You know, Oakland is right behind them as one of the best offensive lines in the league, especially for their rushing attack. They were blowing gigantic holes open for him, and, you know, he did a great job taking advantage of that right that being said even with one of the best offensive lines in the league he didn't produce like a number one running back of course when you're drafting somebody in the sixth round you're not looking for that sort of elite upside but i just don't see it behind the minnesota offensive line again unless they do a lot of things in the draft to really look to improve the line and that might help me shift my opinion a little bit as we've talked about many times in the past i I'm a huge metrics guy. I, I love what Jarek McKinnon looks like on paper, but he was never able to make anything happen behind that offensive line. And I really don't see Latavius Murray being able to either. For me right now, both are kind of fades. I'll probably have some McKinnon shares just because I can't quit him. But it, it's going to be one of those players who I know that I have to kind of lower my shares on in MFL 10s. 
And really, ultimately, unless they do something to improve that line, it's another situation that I'm kind of looking to avoid. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm a Raider fan, and obviously I loved Latavius Murray when he was a Raider. And, I mean, he had his faults, but like you said, he took advantage of the opportunity, and he did well in that. Um, some Raider fans were a little frustrated, saying, thinking he could do more. Um, but my only concern is how the Raiders just let him walk like they did. Um, and then he goes, like you said, uh, the offensive line isn't fantastic in, in Minnesota, but it'll be interesting. Man. I'm, I'm rooting for him personally, and, um, you know, obviously – Jen is a fan, so how can I not be? I gotta, 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 gotta go with her, man. But there you go. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm gonna go with. But I, I am rooting for him. I am a little worried though. I'm a little worried, but I'm, but I'm rooting for him. The next team, the next team. I don't know how we're gonna figure this one out, but this New England Patriots, they have so much going on right now in their backfield that I don't know how, what, what we do here. Basically, we got Burkhead in the ninth. Lewis in the 11th, which some people are saying Lewis may not even be a Patriot much longer. Um, you got Blunt, who may be a Patriot, may not be a Patriot. They may re-sign him. We don't know. Um, his is an 11th round. You got James White, who just re-signed. I believe it was three years, four, four years, three years, four years. Um, in the 13th. And then um, Gillespie, is he there? Is he not? Is it is it confirmed 100% that he's there now? Or are the Bills going to make an offer? I don't know. Do you guys know either one of you? Yeah, Gildersleeve was signed as so of it's today. A, so it's a lock. It's in. He's done. Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. So I don't know his ADP. Do you guys know where his ADP is right now? Uh, I have. I it can in front tell of you. I can get it in two seconds. Okay. Yeah. Because this is this is a this is a crazy you know backfield because Burkhead, um, every uh, some people were really you know bumping him up here and, and liking him because again like you said metrics and, and what it looked like he could be, um, if the Patriots give him a lot of run, um. You got Lewis, who is always injured and may not be there. You got White, who showed a lot last year, especially in the playoffs. And then if you have Gillespie there, he's another metrics guy, um, kind of like Burkhead, who people are going to go crazy for. I've already seen people on fancy Twitter, we keep talking about it, um, saying he's the best running back there, all this kind of stuff about what he can do um, if given the opportunity. Um, so I don't know which one you want to start on this one because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a messy one. But if one of you feel really confident about any of these guys, um, please let me know. Well, I'll go ahead and start because really I want to start with a giant shout out to uh, both Swagzilla and Two Drink Minimum who were on the last podcast with Neil. Uh, please, if you haven't gone and listened to it, everyone go back, listen to the podcast that Neil just put out with those guys from the Fantasy Life app because I don't know which of the two it was. It was I kept, kept getting it was swag. mixed up. It was Swag? Yeah. Okay. Dang, way to go, Swagzilla, because uh, he actually threw out there the potential for Deion Lewis to get cut, and I thought it was ridiculous listening last night, and then all of a sudden today, they went ahead and they signed Mike Gillisley, and they extended James White's contract. That means currently, they have now, in this offseason, signed Rex Burkhead, they have signed Mike Gillisley, they've extended Brandon Bolden, and James White. That's four running backs right there on the roster. Now, Brandon Bolden is probably going to play special teams, but this is the New England Patriots we're talking about. They're not going to be looking to have five running backs on the roster to start the year. If they do, it would be a total anomaly from anything that we've seen in the Bill Belichick era. So for me, I, I, th I think Swag was right. I think <laughs> there's a good possibility that they've moved on from Blunt and that Deion Lewis could be a cut candidate in the offseason. 
which really right now is shocking. Now, ultimately, I think that there is the potentiality that, you know, he performs amazing in the offseason. He sticks around and they kind of finagle something where one of the other guys gets released. But one of them isn't staying on the roster. And then for me, kind of from a fantasy perspective, I, I mean, there were some great stats that came out from Number Fire and also from Player Profiler about how both Mike Gillisley and Rex Burkhead were two of the most efficient running backs in the NFL when they had touches last season. And let's be honest, as much as people like Bill Belichick and, and people in the NFL want to act like they don't look at analytics, they do. And when you see things like them going after these guys who literally were the most efficient running backs who weren't getting you know, a ton of touches, it gives me the impression that there's something in that that they see that they like. Now, we've seen it time and time again with the New England offense that they're able to just really fit whoever they want into their system and find a way to be successful. So for me... It's not an avoid situation, but it's really a value situation. Um, I was a huge James White proponent going into last year. In fact, he was my most owned player in MFL 10s. It wasn't like he did amazing in the regular season. Everybody kind of has this perspective of him that, you know, he, he had a great year. He had an amazing Super Bowl. But ultimately, from a season perspective, what he was able to do is he, he is a receiver who plays running back. He does not get a ton of carries, but for PPR leagues, he can have those games where he is able to catch five balls or sometimes over five. And for me, he kind of supplements, you know, especially with a zero running back approach, that bottom barrel of the roster. So it gives you kind of a weekly floor. So he's a guy who I do still like to target. Granted, his ADP in the 13th is much higher than I would have originally expected it to be. And I'm kind of hoping that it, you know, drops back down and I can get some more shares of him because Right now, where their ADP is, I'm probably not touching any of them, uh, especially since I expect Gillisley to rock it up. I'm looking at it here now. Currently, his ADP is in like the 16th, 17th round, but I expect that to rise yeah. pretty. Yeah, yeah, that's that's gonna shoot up. Um, Jen, is there any one guy here that that you are that you love, or is it just kind of like what Adam said? You're just kind of gonna find the value, you know, where it falls. Um, like like we mentioned, there are people who are in love with some of these guys, um, even though they're in the Patriots backfield. But are you in love with any of them, or is it just kind of uh, again where you find your value? No, no, I'm I'm not in love with any of them. I'm pretty heartless when it comes to Bill Belichick running backs. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, Burkhead uh, shows you what kind of a boss Evan Silva is. I mean, he mentions Rex Burkhead and Rex Burkhead, and now he's a, a ninth round pick. I mean, that guy's ADP has just gone through the roof. I have a couple Burkhead shares, proud to say I got him uh, back when he was a 14th and 17th rounder, so wow. I'll be off of him. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, back in uh, back in the beginning. But uh, I actually, I have a theory, and uh, it's that the way that the Patriots are just stockpiling running backs, I want to know which one of these guys is getting suspended because that's it's kind of the vibe I'm getting is that they're expecting a suspension to come down. I mean, it's just... I can't understand why else they they have so many of them. Right. Uh, you, you know that they're that they're signing and and a lot of these guys you look at their deals and they're they're essentially one year deals on paper. So it's like they're kind of just seeing what they're going to be working with this year. Um, I just actually stumbled upon a pretty interesting uh, tweet from Albert Breer and he brought up a good point that in the three years that Legarrette Blunt was a Patriot, 
he made $3.3 million. And their offer sheet to Gillisley is worth $6.5 million over two years. So what does that tell you? Uh, if, if Gillisley is possibly going to be replacing Blunt as that kind of big-bodied goal linebacker, um, I'll take that, that, that touchdown. First of all, the touchdown efficiency that Gillisley had plus the 18 that Garrett Blunt had, if we want to even dumb it down and come to a happy medium, I mean, imagine the guy gets 12 touchdowns that, that, that could be pretty impressive. Right. Uh, so, so Lewis, Lewis and Burkhead, uh, not doing it for me, definitely Gillisley and, uh, and James White, but, but don't be surprised if, if in, uh, in a couple of weeks you hear that one of these guys, uh, were suspended, and that's why the Patriots are, are hoarding so many of them. You heard it here first from Jen. Someone <laughs> suspended. Um, I'm so skeptical of it. <laughs> Man, back-to-back podcasts yeah. with New England backfield hot takes. Man. I love it. Yeah. Lewis is going to get cut. They've got a suspension somewhere in there. Really, at the end of the day, I think we just none of us have any idea what Bill <laughs> Belichick is doing. But Jen touched first. on something that I just absolutely loved, which is – the interesting thing that they've done here is they are. They're giving all these guys one-year deals. The only guy that they gave multiple years to is James White, who essentially, like I was saying, is a running back who pl- – or I'm sorry, is a wide receiver who plays the running back position. Like right. really, it, it's it's really perplexing what they're doing. And, yeah, it's kind of like they're throwing a bunch of darts and just seeing what sticks. And like I said, I mean – they're, they're a system, you know, Bill Belichick's always had a system there. And I feel like he feels that he can put anybody into it. And honestly, I think Jen just convinced me to get some Mike Gillis. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> which, which, which one of these Patriot running backs do you guys think as the season gets closer here? Um, do you think will be at the highest ADP eventually? Like which, which one will end at the highest? Do you think it's going to be Burkhead or do you think it's going to be Gillis? I think Burkhead, I, I yeah. mean, people, he's like the Matt Flynn of running backs. The guy had <laughs> one fantastic game and all of a sudden he's like a fantasy stud. Uh, I think it's going to be Burkhead, but I guess we'll see. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I think Jen hit the nail on the head when she said Evan Silva, because man, there's something about these big fantasy analysts like Matt Harmon. Whenever he talks about a wide receiver, you just watch their ADP skyrocket. You know, Evan Silva has just as much, if not way more, uh, of a reputation in the fantasy community. So when he puts something out on Twitter, you just see like that ADP just peaks and ultimately he becomes, you know, to the point where he's no longer draftable in my opinion, because <laughs> it's just his ADP is so high that for me to take that risk, it just, there's so many other guys that are going in that range that I feel more confident in. Yep. I think it's, uh, I think it's totally a credit really to Evan Silva too. It's if, if Evan Silva likes a guy, you can, you can bet that a lot of people are going to like him. And it's, you know, it's because he's just, I guess, one of the best of the best out there. So, uh, so I, I joke that he drove up Burkhead's ADP, but I mean, look at the effect of it. You know, he, uh, he went from a guy in the teens back when he was with Cincinnati to going to new England to, uh, you know, sort of being, you know, talked about by, by popular, super smart, super well-respected people. And, you know, it kind of, if you want to look at him like he's made him money, you know, he went from costing like 500 bucks to a thousand and he got like a comma out of nowhere. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very impressive stuff by those guys, man. Um, the last, the, the last one, as far as team backfields go is Detroit. Um, they have some, some, some guys that they're actually, their ADPs uh, right now uh, for what, for our game sakes here and for what it is, is, is actually the same. So it's Amir Abdullah in the seventh and Theo Riddick also in the seventh. 
Um, Jen, do you have one that you prefer over the other? Do you avoid them both? I mean, how, how, how do you attack this Lions backfield in MFL 10s? You know, I got to be honest with you. They're they're one and the same to me at this point. Um, I feel safer with Theo Riddick. Uh, uh, Theo Riddick fan, I'd prefer him a little later. I'd hate to take him in the seventh. Uh, if I got lucky and caught him in the ninth, I'd, I'd feel a little more comfortable with that. But I think, I think we know what Riddick is. We don't really know much about Abdullah. Abdullah could be Riddick, you know, he could be Riddick's ceiling. He could be Riddick's floor. We might've already seen Riddick's best season. Uh, what I, what I do know is there was opportunities to be seized last year in that backfield and they tried running Riddick between the tackles and it just didn't work out. And, uh, you know, Abdullah does have the opportunity. He will have the opportunity to kind of seize that at least two down back role, but, um, you know, if they just want to go ahead and put the wide receiver tag on uh, on Theo Riddick, I'd probably feel better about taking him in the seventh round. Gotcha. I, Adam, you know I'm a big – I'm actually a big fan of both of these guys. I, I think they both have uh, – you know, like Jen said, Riddick uh, is obviously more safer, you feel like, right now. And then, obviously, Abdullah has a, a – everyone – a lot of people feel he has a very high ceiling. This could be – this could be the year. We It seems like we keep saying this with him, but – um, are you are you with Jen on this? You prefer theoretic and, and maybe a little later, but or, or are you on the Amir Abdullah Bill bandwagon? Honestly, I am grabbing a ton of both these guys. Um, they're two of my most owned running backs right now, and as much as I really, I, I probably would say against it, I have drafted some teams with both of these guys because their ADP right now for me is low enough that, that they do become a value. Like Jen said, I mean, sometimes you're getting these guys in the eighth and ninth round, and there I just feel like they're gigantic steals. Uh, Jen touched on it a little bit. You know, Amir Abdullah hasn't really broke out yet, and he was someone coming into his rookie season. I mean, he had just about everyone touting him. I mean, the metrics guys loved him. Film guys like Matt Walden were really in on him, and there was just kind of this perspective that he was going to be an elite running back, and then 2016 came around in that first game. He just just rocketed out there and he was just phenomenal in that first performance and it was super exciting and then week two happened and his season ended yeah so coming off an injury you know you never know what to expect but he's one of those guys who i'm willing to take the gamble on i think he has the ability i think he has the you know the athletic skills to really be able to perform at a high level in the NFL and he was an elite college athlete. And I think for me, that's something that I do draw back to, you know, he, he is someone who performed really well in college. And I think that he is who they want to be able to run between the tackles. There's been some talk that they might draft a running back. And honestly, if they do, I hope it's late in the draft. If they draft someone early, that probably indicates that they're not super confident on what Amir can do. Um, but for me, he's a guy who I'm taking the risk on now because I feel like if they don't draft anyone, his ADP is going to continue to rise. And I want to get my shares while his ADP is still a little lower because he does have a lot of risk baked in. Now on the flip side with Theo Riddick, it's kind of like the opposite player in a lot of ways, because I think Theo Riddick has a really high floor because he has that receiving ability. And ultimately the only thing that I could see that would cost Theo Riddick this high floor would be if Amir just breaks out and becomes like the next David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell type player, right. which honestly is in my opinion, it's in his range of outcomes. I definitely don't 
think it's going to happen, but I think it's definitely in this range of outcomes just based purely on his metrics and what, you know, he's able to do both in the receiving game and as a runner. Yeah. But for Theo Riddick, you know, if Amir doesn't have this huge breakout season, Riddick has just shown year after year he's a reliable receiver. And again, since this is PPR format, if you can get him in the, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth round, he gives a really high floor. And weekly, he can create a really high ceiling. Because, you know, when these guys are catching 5 balls for 50 yards, that's 10 points right there. They score a touchdown with that. That's 16. And that doesn't even include any rushing that he's doing. Right. So, you know, they do have that ability to really accumulate points on the passing game side. So, for me, both these guys are huge buys at their current ADP. And like Jen was saying, if you can see either of these guys in the 8th, ninth round, for me, I'm pouncing every time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the good thing about these guys is we, we all know the offense could actually sustain both of them um and they both like you said a flash they both can receive the ball um and it seems like the lions like them both so i like them both it seems like we all pretty much like them both um and and hopefully uh you know when you're drafting you can get these guys at, at decent spots the last two guys i wanted to talk about really quick i don't want to get too crazy into it but just two guys that are free agent running backs that have not found homes they may never find homes i don't know what's going to happen um and that's adrian peterson and jamal charles um they were talked about a lot when free agency started and to some surprise signed nowhere yet. Um, and who knows, you know, where they're signed, will those, where they will sign or if they will sign. Um, but Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles, they are options. People are drafting them. And I wanted to see Jen, do you avoid these guys? Do you, do you try to get these guys? I mean, what is your position when it comes to guys like this when we really don't know what's going to happen? So I, I could keep it super simple with yeah. that. With those guys, I'm not targeting them. If they fall, I take them. And so if Adrian Peterson's in the eighth or ninth round, I'll take him every now and then. Jamal Charles, I've gotten as latest as the 13th, 14th round. Uh, again, to keep it simple, I am a Jamal Charles truther. Fully believe in him. Uh, you know, first five of his first seven seasons, thousand yard seasons. Then he got hit with two years of injuries. I think if both of these guys are on the field for 16 games, Jamal Charles is going to finish with more fantasy points. Gotcha. Adam, really quick. Yeah, no, I totally agree with Jen on this one. Uh, honestly, Jamal Charles, I've seen go as late as the 20th in an MFL 10. It wasn't my MFL 10 because I would have taken him way before that. <laughs> um, but ultimately, yeah, if he's there and we start getting in like the 14th, 15th, 16th round, he's somebody I'm taking every time. Adrian Peterson, I, I honestly, I don't have any shares of at this point. I feel like the, you know, the value that's being placed on him is too high. I, I just... I, until he signs somewhere, I don't know if I'll have him at that ADP. And, you know, basically with so much unknown, I just can't invest. Gotcha. Yeah, interesting guys, but I'm not a fan of either. At this point, like you said, unless they go super late and then it's just worth trying to take a shot on them. So that's it for value, value. Where art thou, value? It was fun. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of entertaining takes there and super informative. Super informative. And, and I liked a lot of the ways Jen went, man. I gotta, I don't know, man. I think I'm siding with Jen on a lot of these, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry, Adam. We won't replace you or nothing, man. It's okay. You're safe. I was, I was really concerned. <laughs> so what I want to jump over to is my favorite part of the podcast, which is foul or no foul. Okay. So foul or no foul, for those who are new, for those who aren't familiar, for Jen who's never played yet, um, foul or no foul is basically a segment here where I will throw statements out 
um, whether some some are submitted to me, some I just come up with uh, off the top of my head, looking at articles online and stuff. And I'm going to give you these statements. If you agree with the statement, then there's no foul. There's no foul with the statement. It's good to go. If you do have an issue with the statement, then there's a foul. That's a foul on your to you. Um, if you can, uh, when you give the foul or no foul, just kind of give a, a quick explanation on why you feel that way. You guys both ready for this? Yeah. It's that time again. Let's play another round of foul or no foul. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll start off. What we'll do is we'll rotate. So we'll let um, Jen go first on the first one, Adam go second, and then we'll rotate it each one. So the first one, um, and these and these have no particular topic. They're just kind of everywhere. Um, the first one, uh, a man in, in a Florida casino here. I'm in Florida, so I've seen this article, and he he was at a casino in Florida. He put $50 in a slot machine. He had a female friend with him. He told her to press the button for good luck. Just so happens they hit a jackpot, and it's a $100,000 jackpot. When reviewed by the casino, they awarded her the money because she was the one who actually pressed the button. doesn't matter that he put the money in. What doesn't matter that it was his money is that she pressed the button, so she therefore won the hundred thousand um, dollars. In the article, it said that um, the man was upset that she accepted the, the winnings um, and sent her nasty text messages, um, and because of that, she decided to keep all the money. So she left with a hundred thousand dollars, fifty thousand in cash, fifty thousand dollar check, and decided she wasn't going to share any of it with her her friend who put the money in in the first place to play. Um, foul or no foul? on her decision to keep all the money because of his rude text messages, Jen. Uh, foul, super foul. What a bitch. Uh, that is terrible gambling karma, and she will never win another dollar in her life again. <laughs> Adam. Man. What, what can I say? I just got Jen to say, what a bitch. That was great. <laughs> I'm, like, so offended by that. This is crazy. I had to go there. I was, I was going to see if any of you would agree with her, but I knew that was going to be far-fetched. But that was the best response ever. I don't think Adam could top it, but Adam, what do you think, yeah, man? I mean, I, I would say it's a foul, but with the accolade that, you know, or I should say the caveat, that with the caveat that ultimately, like, these are things that I wish people knew when they entered casinos. Like, you know, don't let someone else gamble for you. Simple enough. If it's your money, you do the gambling. Uh, I mean, ultimately, like, she should have split the money. So, yeah, so you feel like, you guys feel like she should have gave the money. Now, let me ask you this. If you if you were him, do you feel like he should have split some of it with her? 50-50, you partnered up. I'm yeah, sorry. I yeah. mean, it's like self-explanatory. Get out of here. I, I don't I don't get it. Like high five and, and split your money. Those are those are some terrible friends. That's I, crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. It's it's crazy. But you know, it's Florida for you guys. When, it is. They, when they when they say Florida news, man, it's not no joke. Serious stuff. <laughs> the next one, I actually got this. I actually thought of this statement because of Jen's Twitter. Uh-oh. So that's why I can't. That's why I got this one for you. So this statement is drafting a rookie running back and MFL tens are a good strategy. Foul or no foul? Adam, you can go first. Foul. Okay, Jane, go first. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's okay, that's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. no, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, foul. I don't do it. History says not to do it. You're not getting Ezekiel Elliott. I, I'm like being really harsh right now. Yeah, by the way, okay. but I just figured it's okay. I that's, that's the foul or no foul. Game. That's the foul or no foul attitude. I figure it's part of the game. It brings it but, out of you. Um, um, so everyone, please stop it with this like second round Leonard Fournette. Um, no, that's all foul. <laughs> it's all foul. Adam? 
Yeah. You sneaking in some rookie running backs, too. man? No, it's it's totally a foul. Ultimately, <laughs> like the hype on these guys is just way above what I think they can do. The only one who I'd even consider is Christian McCaffrey, just because I think he has a high floor with his receiving ability. So I I have taken I think one share of him, maybe in like the fifth round, but even that to me is probably a reach. I probably was just getting too excited about the draft and just wanted to have a share of him. And honestly, I probably wouldn't recommend it. Thinking back, it might have been the six, which makes me feel a little better, but I might also just be trying to justify what I was doing. But yeah, that being said, I mean, I've heard Jen touch about this on other podcasts, but really the rookie hype around like the big six, it's just not worth it. Ultimately, where they're being drafted is just, it's really like almost their ceilings. I mean, when you're drafting these rookie running backs as, I mean, I'm seeing them come off the board pretty consistently in like the teens and upwards of, as I said, Leonard Fournette going running back six, you know, you're not getting these guys where they can produce beyond where you're drafting him. And for me, that's always my goal when drafting. I want to draft a guy, either if I'm drafting early, I want a guy who I feel like can consistently hold that spot. And if I'm drafting a guy in the mid rounds, I want a guy who can improve on where I'm drafting him from. I feel like that should be pretty much common sense when drafting. And when I'm seeing these rookies go that high, I think it's just people chasing last year. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, guys get, they're just exciting. You know, they want to get the rookies, and so they tend to draft them earlier. And that's in MFL 10s, regular redrafts, Dynasty, everything. But Dynasty is a little different. But um, the next one, John Jones, UFC, one of the best fighters, probably some would argue the best fighter ever. Um, John Jones should be awarded a title shot versus Cormier immediately from his return to UFC after being suspended, foul or no foul. I cut off Adam before, so I don't know if I should go first here. You can go first every time. Forget Adam. So I'm <laughs> what I think is I'm kind of a new UFC fan, and uh, you know I'm super into it. And I'm gonna say no foul, but with a caveat, kind of like how Adam said before. I don't think John Jones deserves a damn thing personally, uh, but I do want to see Daniel uh, knock him out. So <laughs> so I'm gonna say no foul. Give him the, give him the title shot. Um, I kind of love Daniel Cormier. It's like everybody hates the guy. I think he's great. He shuts everybody up. So I don't like I said. I don't think John Jones deserves a damn thing. But I would love nothing more than to see uh, see Daniel get it done. And I I think they were talking about it maybe coming up in July, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe they said the end of July, if, if John Jones is ready. Um, Go Daniel. Uh, yeah, otherwise Cormier <laughs> may get a different fight. And, and, and Cormier, man, like you said, he's taking that heel you know, position and he's, and he's and he's running with it. I love that he's doing that instead of, you know, he's embracing it rather than fighting against it. Um, totally. and, and I was super surprised by his last victory. I, I thought Rumble had more, but he didn't. Um, Adam, you think John Jones deserves that title shot straight the gate or he should earn it back? Yeah, I see no follow as well. Uh, honestly, since WME purchased the UFC, I just see no way that they don't just immediately throw in the title shot. I mean, they're trying yeah. to make their money back, so I think that's just what's going to happen. Now, I actually, I, I kind of agree with Jen on this. Like, I'm not a big John Jones fan from like a fan perspective. I think that he really is kind of. I mean, he's one of those guys. He has all the talent in the world, and just you know, he's had struggles, but. Even the things I've heard from him, like, he was on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast for, like, three hours, and, you know, Joe Rogan, when he has these long 
drawn out podcast, to me, it really opens up who a person really is. And when I was listening to that, he just seemed kind of fake. And he seemed like he had all the answers kind of scripted out and just kind of knew what he was supposed to say. But I didn't really get the idea that he felt it. That all being said, I t- as much as I want Cormier to beat him, and sidetrack really quick, isn't it great that Cormier is the heel, but he's also one of the commentators for the UFC now? I think that's so ironic that yeah. <laughs> he's like taking this bad guy mentality when honestly he's the good guy in this situation. Like John Jones is the one who has like a drug problem and has you know struggled with actually being able to fight even in the UFC. Um, sidetrack over, but ultimately. <laughs> what we've seen from John Jones in the course of his MMA career is that he is potentially the greatest athlete to ever compete in mixed martial arts. And I'm excited to watch him compete again. I too want Daniel Cormier to beat him. I don't think it's going to happen though. I I, I mean, unless John Jones comes back rusty, which, you know, is very possible with all this time off. If he comes back though, like old age John Jones and just, peak performance again I, I don't see any way that Cormier beats him yeah it, it, it's a it's a it's gonna be a good fight either way and I, and I look forward to it either way if they put if they give them both somebody else before that I think it's still you know ultimately ends up them clashing again but um I don't know you know I was always rooting for John Jones but I, I, you know Cormier has won me over a little bit so you know we'll see what happens but it should be a good fight either way um the next one I got two more uh number four the Jacksonville Jaguars will be f- a for real good team this upcoming season, not just hype. Foul or no foul, Jen? No foul, and uh, I think that's going to have a lot more to do with Tom Coughlin getting down there than anything else. Uh, he he runs a tight ship, and uh, he has the ability to get the most out of his players. Granted, he won't be coaching, but he has a role down there. Um, what were they, 4-12 and 12 last year? I, I, I see an improvement on the horizon regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, like I said, it's kind of one of those things where it feels like it's been a long time coming. I feel like we keep saying it each year. You know, the Jaguars are going to be good this year. They're going to be good this year. And I mean, they slowly improve a little bit, and we see the little flashes, but it hasn't gone all the way. And I don't know if Bortles is just not the answer or, you know, it just need the defense to keep stepping up or, or what it is. People think they may draft a running back. Um, this year it seems highly likely to draft one maybe early. Um, so we'll see. I, 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 it's hard to not be a believer in it at this point. You just They just keep adding pieces, so it's hard to keep, um, you know, not believing it in, in the pieces they keep adding. Um, Adam, you agree? Do you, you know foul on this one, or are you going to go the other way? Yeah, I, I'm going to say foul. I, I think their defense is going to be good, but I just don't believe in Blake Bortles. Um, ultimately, I think from a fantasy perspective, he's a guy I'm definitely drafting because he – throws the ball a ton, and, and he has the ability to just put up points. Right. But from an NFL perspective, I I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they were looking to find his replacement in this draft. I don't really know if his replacement's there because this draft doesn't have a lot of QBs that I'm a big fan of. But ultimately, I think that they're going to continue to struggle from an offensive perspective. And unless they're able to, you know, put something together – maybe from more of a running game perspective, draft a running back early and just kind of build that way. That might be, you know, what helps propel them forward. But ultimately, I, I, I just don't see them being a playoff contender this year. Interesting. The the last one I have for you guys, um, HBO announced that the Buccaneers are going to be the hard knocks 
um, for this season. They're going to be the team that they use for this season. So knowing how fantasy fans um, tend to, like we said, mentioned earlier with the rookies and everything, they tend to, to ride the hot names and the names that they're seeing more in the media and the names that they're seeing talked about more. Um, the statement for this one is HBO's Hard Knocks show will raise the value of Buccaneers players in fantasy drafts due to the extra media exposure. Foul or no foul? Uh, I'm going to say foul. I don't think HBO is going to influence the fantasy nerds out there. Um, <laughs> how much higher can Mike Evans' value possibly get? Uh, you know, right? I mean, <laughs> Jameis Winston, he's he kind of going the same place this year he was going last year. And then in terms of the backfield, everyone is cheap. There's not one guy back there that you're spending a lot of money on. I mean, you, like I said, I don't, I don't see HBO having a remote effect on, uh, on, on how people view the bucks. I think right. if anything, you're just gonna really, in my opinion, depending upon how, uh, how mature or immature he is either bring up a lot of people, former feelings about Jameis Winston, mm. or people are going to fall in love with them. It'll be one of the two. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how the Bucks handle that because he's one of those guys where, you know, when we talk about these off-field things, he uh, kind of got off easy with that stuff in terms of, uh, you know, public perception. So that's that's really more what I'm looking for is if people are like, wow, I really like that Jameis kid or if they're like this, you know, if uh, if they kind of can't stand him. But equating HBO and fantasy football, I I completely will call foul on that and say no. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we're trying to, you know, maybe, maybe we'll find out whether Jameis is the kind of guy to, to take that hundred thousand and split like the lady in the first foul or no foul. <laughs> or, or, or if he's a, if he's the guy who will split it. But um, yeah, I, I just say that because, you know, not necessarily the, the fantasy nerds, like, like not, not the diehards like us, but a lot of, it does seem like a lot of the, the newer, you know, fantasy football uh, fans or the, or the more amateur ones just seem to be very uh, easily influenced by media stuff. Sometimes it seems so. I was just wondering, Adam, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say foul as well. Like I, I don't see it impacting dramatically i mean like you said i think it just depends on the individual i will say though this might be the first year i watch hard knocks <laughs> you never watched it before some such... no i you know i've watched episodes before but i gotta be honest most of the time it's kind of boring to me um not gonna lie but this is once like they actually have a team that that seems interesting i mean they've right. got sean jackson they've got you know, issues in that backfield will be interested to see if, you know, Doug Martin stays there, you know, if they draft a running back, that could be really interesting. I mean, they have Charles Sims there, but, you know, Deshaun Jackson just went there. They've got a lot of things that are, are compelling. So, you know, I might actually watch for once, but as far <laughs> as it influencing how I look at fantasy, I think if you're letting things like that get to you, you're probably paying attention to the wrong things. Yeah. This seems like the foul or no foul filled with like drama and stuff, right? I mean, we had the lady who who stiffed the guy the hundred grand. We got rookie running backs being drafted early, which Jen and Adam we have, we do not like that. You got John Jones. We got Hard Knocks, Jameis Winston. This was a this was a foul or no foul, not intentionally filled with drama. So I'm uh, I'm most surprised that Adam doesn't watch Hard Knocks. I, mean, I know. What kind, of football, what kind of football fan are you? Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. It's all I right, joked yeah. with Neil before that I wonder if I could be a successful fantasy football player without watching football. It's not <laughs> that I wouldn't watch football. I've just always wondered if I could. <laughs> oh my, I'm I am a fan first. Always, always. This fantasy stuff comes second to me, uh you know, watching yeah. football. 
Yeah, that's how I am. That's how I am with my Raiders. Like, like it's you know, I watch a preseason game like the playoffs. Like, I'm totally in in (laughs) with it. But yeah, for some reason, I don't know if it's the way Hard Knocks edits it or or what it is. But uh, yeah, I've I've tried watching in the past. It might just be the teams that they featured in the past. But I just I've never gotten into it. Too much Cowboys for you, I guess. Well, that was fun, guys. I appreciate you having fun with Fallon O'Fall. What I want to do now is we've we've covered everything that I feel like we can cover today. Um, Jen has has given us a lot of information here. Adam always doing a good job. Um, what I like to do when we close, obviously, is I do want to plug some things for for Jen. Um, if you can tell everybody, I don't think we even gave out your Twitter yet. So if you can tell everybody where to find you on Twitter if they're not already following you, um, also. Uh, mention any, any uh, you know i seen you have the um the social club scene and that kind of stuff can you please just mention all that kind of stuff and and tell people how they can help and things like that yeah totally so fantasy stuff first uh you can uh find me on twitter ff degenerate with a j of course and uh all my articles and and whatnot you could uh you can find over at footballdiehards.com and then as uh as far as the social scene uh i guess i'll get kind of personal for a minute uh it's it's please a do. business that yeah, sure. It's a, a business that my, my sister started. So um, real quick, uh, my one sister worked in nonprofit sector for adults with special needs for about a decade. And then my other sister, she works at a high school for adults uh, age 18 to 22 with special needs, just, uh, you know, big on life skills and social skills. And uh, around here where we live in the New York, New Jersey area, all the programs end around three o'clock and, you know, everyone has a parent, you know, for the most part that works and there's just, there's just nothing, uh, really for them. So to fill that, that hole, uh, the social scene is open from three to eight every night. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an environment where you just kind of come, you be yourself, you cook, you socialize, you make friends. There is no schooling involved. There is no, uh, correction of behavior, if you will. It's just sort of come and be yourself. Uh, my sisters and uh, their staff, they they guide them, but the way that they look at it, they really are just hanging out with their friends. Um, it's a membership-based program. Uh, so right now, uh, big thanks to my good friend, Curtis Patrick. You can find him at Dynasty Command on Twitter. He designed, uh, helped design the T-shirts. And uh, what they're doing is they're raising money for some of their underprivileged clients uh, who maybe are a weekly client but wants to become a monthly client. So any money they raise will go towards those who have expressed interest in wanting to spend more time at the social scene, but perhaps uh, the funds don't allow for it. But uh, check out the website and, uh, it, you know, um, they're they're great, my sisters. Uh, if you if you guys think I'm remotely cool, uh, you could just like multiply it by a billion, and <laughs> uh, and and that's what they are. But like, it's uh, I just got goosebumps actually, no joke, just thinking about like how how cool the whole fantasy community is. I mean, of all the t-shirts that have sold, so more than half of them have been from from you guys. So uh, so I appreciate it. And uh, if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Delaware, anything area, and uh, you have an adult in your life who you love who who's uh, this abled, as my sister likes to say, um, you know, drop by and, and just tell them Jen sent you. They'd be, they'd be happy to see you. That's awesome. Thank you. And definitely Thanks. anybody who can, you know, help that, please do get the shirts, um, help any way possible. Don't forget to follow Jen. Um, also, um, Adam, 
we had something special as far as MFL 10s, correct? Yes, we do. So, for those of you who've stuck around for the whole podcast, we are actually going to be doing a Clock Dodgers MFL 10 just for the listeners. So, really cool opportunity to be able to give a try what we've been talking about here. So, if you've made it all the way here and you're one of the first people to hear these words come out of my mouth, you're the lucky listener because ultimately, Jen, myself, and Neil have created a private MFL 10 specifically for you. So basically, all you have to do is you go to uh, My Fantasy League's MFL 10 page. Really, the easiest way to find it is to do a Google search for MFL 10. If you click on that, it'll pull up right to the public league page for My Fantasy League, which offers MFL 10s. If you scroll down to basically like three quarters down on that page, there's a section for private leagues. If you enter into the private league, it's going to have a password. That password is going to be Clock Dodgers 1. Clock Dodgers is going to be all one word and the number 1. So once again, that's Clock Dodgers 1 for the password for the league. The first nine people who want to join us, we're going to have an amazing Clock Dodgers only MFL 10. And we'll see if any of you guys can beat Neil, Jen, and myself. That's awesome. Guys, uh, if it's okay with you, I would just like to kind of extend that. Um, anybody who wants to join the league, if they click the the pinned tweet on my page and buy a T-shirt, uh, I'll I'll pay for your entry. Uh, all nine of you, uh, you know, if nine people decide they want to buy a T-shirt to support the social scene, your MFL tens on me, and uh, we could, you know, you could try to take our money. That's amazing. That's awesome. Wow, way to go, John. <laughs> Oh, thank you, guys. For sure, man. That that is amazing. That is awesome, guys. Please, that do it as quickly as you as you possibly can. Get a shirt. That's that's one of the most important things that uh, this whole episode. If you take anything from this, please help out um, Jen and her sisters' causes. There, um, Jen. Um, I I like to let people finish off the episode with any kind of message. I know that message was obviously very important. So I don't know if you wanted to use it as your closing, or if there's anything else that you just wanted to um, tell the clock dodgers before we go. Uh, nope, just that, and uh, of course, go Cowboys, always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go Cowboys, no. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, it's your choice. Well, Adam, Jen, I want to thank you both for, for spending time with me and, and, you know, giving all this information out, um, having fun, laughs. Everybody, I'm sure, enjoyed this. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to do this again. Jen, if you ever want to come back, if we haven't scared you off, we would love, you know, me and Adam would love for you to come back. Um, and talk anytime absolutely so you guys have a good night thank you very much thanks guys thanks. hey guys again it's me neil really quick before you go thank you for listening thank you for listening all the way and making it this far you're you're amazing you heard adam he mentioned the mfl 10 the clock dodgers official mfl 10 that we have going me jen adam we're already in it so we're waiting for you nine to sign up the first nine are in we can't hold it off for anybody we can't make any special arrangements Jen stepped it up. You heard the offer that she made. If you buy a shirt, if you buy a shirt for her social club scene, um, she will actually pay for your entry um, into the MFL 10, which is super cool. I mean, you should just buy a shirt anyway and not ask her for that. <laughs> but if, you know, she made the offer, so it's there. It's available to you if that's what you want to do. Um, it's it's for a good, th- good cause, guys, please. Um, if you took away anything from this episode, that is the most important factor. That is... And Jen does a lot of MFL 10s, and she knows what she's talking about. Those are probably the most clearest things from this episode. (laughs) But again, thank you guys for being a part of this. This is amazing. Subscribe, review, 
tell your friends, tell your friends, do anything you can to get this into the hands of more people because there's so much good that is coming from it and you guys see it. So be on the lookout. Visit clockdodgers.com. We have all kinds of rankings up there, census rankings, rookie rankings, great articles from you know guys that have nothing to do with football that do have something to do with football. Just go on there, check it out. Don't forget to get yourself a wristband. Uh, we have T-shirts probably coming soon, I believe. And there's different kinds of contests. So the more you stay in tune with it, the more you stay a part of it, and the more you share this thing, uh, and the more people that we can get involved and the more and the more good we can do, more fun we can have. Let's have fun, guys. We're going to go ahead and send you off with Liquid Spiral later. Visit ClockDodgers.com for more unique content. Connect with us now by following at ClockDodgers on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.